Everyone, welcome back to the Early Speed Podcast. This is season two, episode four. Hope everybody's doing good after the pregnancy. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, we're winding down the end of the Triple Crown series. That's always disappointing, but uh, got one more leg to go. So looking forward to it. So we always start the show where we tout a Beastie Boys song that that should have been our intro. Scott, I would like you to go first if you would like this week and tell me what Beastie Boys song. All right, so this may be a bit of a faux pas, but uh, as a as a Louisville guy, it's it's close enough. So heading up to Belmont this weekend. Well, I'm not heading up, but the horses are heading up for the last leg of the Triple Crown. No sleep till Brooklyn. Now I realize the Belmont's not actually in the Brooklyn borough, but uh, like I said, it's uh, close enough to me. Still, still gives me the same mental image. Okay, I like that. I like that. Um, and you might have thought that this might be the week that we have the same song, but you're wrong. <laughs> and I actually, and I think you're going to agree with me here. I think this is one of the more underrated Beastie Boys songs. Okay. Yeah, I, well, well, first off, I mean, the, the, the Beastie Boys collection is so vast. I mean, the, the chances <laughs> of us having the same song are like astronomical. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but my song and there's a reason i chose this that i'm going to tell you and and, and kind of i want you to talk about this here in a second but my song is the new style nice i love which, that song it's a great song but I, I i said that because i think after the preakness and and we'll get into this later in the show a little bit too uh, there's a new phenomenon going on. There's a new style embedding going on. And that is there are no long shots because people bet them at an incredible rate. Okay. Yep. Now there um, are just different shades of favoritism. So th- on this episode, we interviewed Joe Christofek, which was awesome. It was a great interview. Both of us enjoyed it. We touch on this a little bit, but you're you're the first one that told me this. So I want you to kind of feel this. How long do you think this goes on that people bet a lot money on horses that I think you and I would consider have no shot of winning a race? Well, I mean, if you remember, I I think it was like an hour after the Derby, I put a tweet out there, something to the effect of, you know, next Derby there won't be a single horse over thirty to one, and. You know, we we saw that after Giacomo won. We saw that after Mind That Bird won. And, you know, honestly, for those races, I expect it to last a couple of years. Now, nothing like the Preakness. The Preakness was crazy. Like, every horse was less than 10 to 1. I mean, it was nuts. But, you know, and we get into a little bit with Joe, but the, you know, the, the, public that watches these triple crown races and specifically the Kentucky Derby. They don't, you know, a lot of them, that's one of the few horse races they watch every year and recency biases. You know, we all, we all deal with recency bias, right? So, and, and betting a long shot's fun, you know, it's, it's exciting and it's a great story. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think as it relates to the Derby um, long shots will be over bet for the next two to three years is my opinion. And I, and I, I, I kind of hope you're right because I, I think you know it gives you the opportunity to really 
I mean, I almost feel on a day-to-day basis, I've hit a couple of exactas at, at church on the last week, and a couple of them, I'm like, man, that paid way more than I thought it would for an exacta. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I wasn't complaining Preakness Day when I got five to one on early voting. I was loving it. It was, it was, it was outstanding. So that's going to be the next place I go. Um, if anybody listened to the show and listened to you specifically, they did really good on the Preakness. So I want to give you the big kudos, man. You, you knocked that one out of the park. And um, I, just like you said, I think you were shocked at, at the odds you got on early voting. And honestly, I'm still shocked at Epicenter's odds, even though it came in second, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> based on the odds that Epicenter w- went off at. I, I almost bet, bet him to win instead of early voting. I'm glad I stuck to my gun for that. I appreciate the shout out. It was uh, it was a good day. It was a good day. It's, it's nice to have those days from time to time. Well, you know how I always go back to uh, the first quarter. Right. And when I talk about, yep. you know, I always yep. use my thing. A second is five links. Right. Yeah. I thought this was crazy. I wrote this down in prepping for the show. The difference between the first quarter in the Derby and the first quarter in the Prignus was two and a half seconds. So yeah. from an optical, from an optics to think that that, that the horses in the, 12 links like if you yeah. superimpose the derby and preakness that the preakness horses would be 12 links behind is crazy to me and I honestly man i i rolled my eyes when i saw that first quarter i'm like you gotta be kidding me because I, my first thought was epicenter is a little too far a little further back than i would like with that fraction yeah. Yeah. and i think you were the opposite i think you probably saw them like oh yeah this is good yeah well, it, it was, but early building wasn't on the lead. He was stalking, so uh, made me a little nervous. But that I knew he had, uh, I knew he had enough for, for that horse, Aragorn Air, Air, or Aragon or whatever the name of that horse was. Uh, I knew he could put him away, so I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about that. I certainly liked the early fractions for sure. I think it was Armagic or something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, you know, uh, one thing uh, for our listeners, Scott and I uh, really feel like we've hit it big. We, we have hit it big. We, the last show we talked about, we had our, we have a sponsor now. Um, our sponsor is Cornbread Hemp. Um, it's whole flower, full spectrum CBD. Scott, they have oil, they have balm. And get this, did you know they have, they have CBD for pets? And they recommend... I like this. Around 4th of July, you might want to get some CBD gummies for your pet to prepare it because my dog does not like fireworks. It is not a fun night, 4th of July. Not at all. Um, But what's really cool, Cornbread Hemp sent us some uh, samples for us to try. Um, I would say it's helped me sleep a little bit better. So for all of our listeners, and I want to say this, if Scott won you big money, then (laughs) the way to repay us is to go to Cornbread Hemp and use the code early speed to get 25% off your first order. And that'd be a great way to repay us for giving you, for Scott giving you winners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a great product. Uh, I'm a, I'm a regular CBD user. So uh, appreciate the, appreciate the samples from those folks and uh, d- definitely gonna uh, use those on a daily basis. So. Is there anything else as we break down the first two legs of the Triple Crown that, that you want to comment on? 
Well, it's um, you know, to to me the makeup the makeups of the field are have have just been a little strange. Yeah, I mean the the Derby is with the Derby, right? It's twenty horses, and you know it's it's almost always a full field, and um, but so few horses ran back in the Preakness. You know, and there was a lot of talk and discussion of oh, they're you know the races are too close. But you know, as we look at the Belmont, I mean, there's only what three horses in the in the Belmont that ran in the Derby, um, and then none of them ran in the Preakness. So you know, spacing isn't an issue. It's just been you know, I think it's just been kind of a weird year, which is which is shaping up for um, an unusual Belmont field. But but I think it's another race where where you can win some money. I wrote this down to ask you as well. Do you think there's a horse in this year's um, Triple Crown races that has any shot of winning like a Breeders' Cup Classic or, or something like that down the road? I do. You know, I mean, I, I, I think Epicenter's a, you know, a legit champion horse. It, you know, he, he got a – I don't want to say bad breaks. That, that's not the That's not the right – word to use but but he ran he ran two solid races and, and finished second I, I think he's a talented horse and you know as he matures through the year i think he can he can compete with others you know once once we roll into november uh it'll be interesting to see how how zandon improves through the year but you know, i i think modonagal is a really talented horse um you know he he went super wide in the derby he went he went 10 wide um, which really compromised his chances. I, I think he ran a much better race in the fifth place finish um, that it shows in the form. But I, I think that's a horse that has a lot of talent, and um, you know, cert, certainly as a player, as we as we look to the classic in November. Well, I do think that I earned a beer back. By the way, um, I think I earned a beer back because did. my last place horse did worse than your last place horse. <laughs> that's right. It did. So. So I, I I guess the 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 mine was yours was the best of the worst, which made you lose. I think it's the yeah, best way to look I, at it. I'm I'm okay. I'm just glad that neither of our last places horse finished in the money. Like that to me that that was the win for the early speed podcast. So that was uh, that was good. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I'll tell you what, Scott. We're gonna actually go ahead over and uh, listen to the interview with Joe Christofek, uh from Churchill Downs. Uh, very fortunate to have him on. He, he was great. Um, so I hope our listeners enjoy this. Yeah, it was an outstanding interview. Had had such a good time talking to Joe and really appreciate him not only joining us, but um, as Jay mentioned, the, the patience and, <laughs> and us getting started on that. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, Joe Christofek. ESP podcast listeners, we are ex- very excited to have Joe Christofek join the show today. I want to tell you, Joe Christofek is the racing analyst for Churchill Downs, the Kentucky Derby, and Dawn at the Downs, and Fairgrounds, and the Breeders' Cup World Simulcast Work Show. Joe also is a member of the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters. He was previously the Morning Lines Odd Maker for Arlington Park and Kentucky Downs, the former handicapper for the Daily Herald News. Joe, welcome to the Early Speed Podcast. We're really excited to have you. You got probably about three or four more pages of resume stuff 
<laughs> that you can probably read. I've been doing this stuff for a long time, man. Long journey to get to where I am today, and I couldn't be happier to, you know, be on TV at Churchill and Fairgrounds every day. And uh, very glad to, to join you guys and talk some racing, Belmont, and anything else you guys want to talk about. Well, the first yeah, thing that's... I want. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say that's great. I mean, we're we're both local Louisville guys, and we really enjoy you. Your workout, Churchill Downs, I think y'all do a great job. So uh, super excited to have you on the show. Cool. The first thing I want to ask you is just simply when and how did you get into the horse racing game? So I was in high school and had very limited exposure to racing, but I, I'd always been a big sports fan. And I'm a big believer that you're born with gamble in your blood or you're not. You're either you know, willing to lose a few dollars gambling or, you know, the thought of losing five or $10 is absolutely atrocious and you can't stomach it. So I was born with gambling in my blood. I used to gamble on sports, you know, high school, football pools, local bookmaker, whatever. And I never really had any exposure to horse racing of any significance, even though I lived only you know, five, 10 miles away from Hawthorne and Sportsman's, my parents didn't have any gamble in their blood. They never took me to the track. But when I was going to Columbia College in downtown Chicago, I landed a job at the Sears Tower in the Human Resources Department, just, you know, a way to make some money and a way to spend my time. Uh, you know, in between classes, I would go to work or on days that I didn't have classes. And they opened the first off-track betting parlor on Jackson Street literally right across from, you know, what was then known as the Sears Tower. And I started going in this off-track betting parlor and I, I was like, man, like horse racing is great. Like it's a puzzle. You have to use your, your, your brain if you want to be good at it. Um, obviously you can gamble on it and people that gamble on racing, man, it's like, it's an ego thing. Of course you want to win money, but it's more about being right figuring out the puzzle, the gratification you get when the horses you pick uh, run the way that you think they're going to, you know, found a mentor, just really, really got into the horse racing thing. And uh, I was a print journalism major at Columbia College. And literally, I, I, I looked up at the TV screen one day, if you want to call it an epiphany or whatever you want to call it. And Tony Colbitz was a uh, the racing analyst at Arlington at the time. And he's standing in the paddock with a microphone wearing a suit and he's giving his picks. And I'm like, wait a minute, they pay that guy to do that. I said, that's what I want to do. <laughs> from that moment forward, every assignment I wrote for school was about racing. I was learning about racing as I was completing assignments for school and got my foot in the door at Arlington park. In customer service, I wore one of those ugly green jackets for a couple summers, you know, pestered people like Phil Georgeff and Jerry Galatano and Dave Zenner, who actually gave me my first job at Hawthorne. You know, and it was different back then, guys. You had no Twitter. You had no way to do a podcast. You had no way to get self-exposure, I'll call it. So you had to get your foot in the door and, you know, work your way up, you know, the hard way, which means you know, impressing people along the way, working hard, putting yourself in a position to succeed, you know, without, without having that social media exposure. So got my foot in the door at uh, Hawthorne in the fall of 1992, 
just crazy to say, man, that's 30 years. It's going to be my 30 year anniversary in racing and just kind of work my way up from there. I, I love all these stories and I'll tell you a funny story. And I hope you take this the right way. Scott and I um, have been friends for a long time. Went to high school together and we just, we decide we would sit on the, my back porch and drink beer. And at some point we're like, you know, we're talking about horse racing and we're like, some of these people are not as smart as us. Like we need, but we've decided to have the people on our show that we feel are smarter than us. So I hope you take that uh, the, the right way. Um, I do want to talk about your resume you mentioned, because as I read over all the stuff you've done, all, these words keep coming up, promoter, ambassador, educator, fan development. What about the sport has really, you've spearheaded a lot of initiatives. What about the sport has had you do that? I mean, it's really, it's really simple. I love horse racing for everything that it is. I mean, we could sit here and do a whole nother podcast on the flaws within the game. And there are a lot of them and there are a lot of things we can do better. And uh, hopefully we're starting to make some strides in different departments you know, to be more transparent and to, to be more, you know, consumer, wagerer, customer friendly. But I, I just think that horse racing is underappreciated as a whole. Um, I started a racing partnership four years ago. So not only do I do the job at Churchill handicapping, you know, the races and trying to educate other people, but, you know, we've brought hundreds of new owners into the game. So I enjoy the game on every level, not only the gambling aspect, which is kind of how I got into it, but also the animals themselves and the development of the horses and the, the buying of the horses and the, the management and watching them develop, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I just think it's great. And I, I'm one of those few people that can say they turn their hobby into their job I mean, I get paid to do something every day that I love that I'm going to be doing after I retire anyway. You know, when I'm 65 and retired, I'm going to be doing the same thing, except I'm not going to get paid for it. And I'm going to have a lot more free time, et cetera, et cetera. But I would be one of those guys in the OTB that's just there socially playing the races if I wasn't doing the job I'm doing now. So um, I think horse racing fails on a lot of levels. When it comes to fan development, I think we take our fan base for granted. I think we have people that come in the doors at the racetrack every day that leave and don't know any more than they did when they walked through the doors. And I think that's a big fail. If you plant a seed, you really should try to water it. And not everybody that comes to Churchill Downs or every racetrack is going to be a, a racing fan even close to the level that I am or you guys are. But if you give them the means to understand the game better, with knowledge comes interest. The more knowledge you have about something, the more interest you're going to be in it, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, soccer, any sport that you love. People that love those sports know those sports inside and out. There's very few people that know horse racing inside and out. So, I mean, I've always been a big proponent of fan development and finding the people that really want to learn more about horse racing and giving them the means to learn more about it. I got it. And, and, and to our listeners, you can find uh, Joe on, on Twitter at, at Joey decay racing. Um, and I believe the partnership that you're a part of is, is brilliant, brilliant uh, rant. Is that right? Yeah, it's brilliant racing. We started it four years ago. 
We've started 101 horses in four years. We've had 17 winners. We have a multiple stakes winner. And yes, it's Ginger who's made $300,000. We paid 40 grand for her. She was the first horse we ever bought. Eskin for nice. it. Uh, we, we've since gotten him claimed away from us, but he's made 200,000. And we've got some new babies coming in, man. And I, and I tell people, you can never describe the feeling of watching your horse compete and watching your horse win, especially when you buy those horses as babies and kind of watch them develop through every stage of their first workout and, you know, their first race and their first win. There's a lot of pride that I take in that. So, um, you know, it's just another aspect of the game that I absolutely love. Yeah, I haven't got to that point yet, but uh, I talk to my wife about it all the time. Eventually, I'm going to be on the other side of that and, um, you know, hopefully be able to experience that thrill myself. So uh, so what they thought of what you said when you were going through kind of the mindset of, of the, the horse player, I felt like I was on a couch and you were psychoanalyzing me first off because you were spot on. Like, I, I like to win money, but I like to be right probably a lot more than I like to win money. So you were, you were spot on there for sure. Yeah, and you know what, too? It's like in the job that I have, I still like to play the races. You know, I like to play the multi-race wagers, you know, the bets that, you know, you have a chance to – to, to, to score, to score big by picking winners, but I could go a couple days without making a bet, but I still have that, you know, investment in my selections and my reputation is on the line every single day. I go out there to do my job. So it makes it a lot easier. You put the work in and even when you're not betting, if the horse you pick wins, you still feel, you know, that same kind of uh, satisfaction of, uh, of just being right. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to uh, ask you a couple questions about the Belmont. So first off, it's been a, I'd say a unique Triple Crown series, kind of to, to say the least, starting with Rich Strike winning the Derby. But, you know, in the Preakness, the, you know, the, the betting patterns and, and the odds patterns were just weird I guess is the best way to put it not not completely surprising I mean I think we we've seen that in the past when a when a big long shot wins the that you know the the long shots get you know they just get really overbet and overplayed uh, I don't know that I've ever seen it to the point that we saw in the Preakness but you know do you do you expect that to continue in the Belmont or do you think that'll maybe normalize a little bit yeah man that's the million dollar question so ever since Rich Strike won the Derby you know, people know I work in horse racing, obviously, and even people that don't. I mean, I just think people are talking about the Derby for all the right reasons this year, which I think is good. I mean, obviously, we had a very improbable upset winner, but, you know, every time you see a movie about horse racing, it's about something improbable happening, that feel-good Disney story at the end of it, which a lot of people have said, well, they're going to make a movie about Rich Strike eventually, and I can definitely see that happening, but how's that going to carry over five weeks later to the Belmont? I mean, the horse is seven to two. I think the third choice in the morning line, you guys said it. I mean, you, you, you saw it in the Preakness, all these five, 10 and $20 win wagers on horses like Fenwick that have no chance added up. And what did that horse go off at? Like 15 to one, he should have been like 300 to one. Yeah, he was, he was, I think, nine to one with 10 minutes left uh, on post or something. It was crazy. Yeah, so how many of these people 
that love the story of Rich Strike that would never pay attention to the Belmont otherwise, how many of those people are going to bet their 5, 10, 20 to win, 100 to win? A lot of the sharp people might bet him too. A lot of the sharp people are going to try to beat him. But I, I agree. I'm very interested to see. I don't think we're going to see anything like we saw at Preakness because that was so ridiculously improbable. But I could be completely wrong. It's it's going to be interesting. I wish I had a better answer for you. Yeah, well, I, I think that's just one of the unique things about the Derby in and of itself and, and just the monstrous television audience. And you talk about fan outreach, people that, you know, they'll watch one horse race a year and it's the Derby. And, you know, if they watch another one, it's, you know, it's likely going to be the Preakness or the Belmont, right? So the, the, you know, the, the fan audience there, I guess, or, or even, you know, the, the betting public just, just kind of reaches, reaches a different demographic, different demographic for the Triple Crown Series than it does for any other races all year long, I think. Yeah. And and people are going to try to find a way to bet. And obviously Twin Spires is, you know, our, company at, at Churchill, the official betting partner of the Derby and, and Churchill Downs, etc. People open accounts. F- people find ways to get their wagers down. And you've seen it with my boy Jack a few years ago, you know, getting bet way down or even further back than that when Rosie Napravnik rode a horse in the Derby. You know, the story of Rosie and the, you know, the female rider or that horse patch with one eye several years ago was 20 to 1 when he should have been 100 to 1 or Calvin Burrell after he won those three derbies didn't matter who he rode he would get bet down too <laughs> after mind that bird etc so there is something to that for sure the general public there's millions of people in this country and it, you know they all bet 10 20 dollars that can make a difference yeah for sure so as you as you look at the the Belmont out you know to me it's a there's not a standout there's not really a superstar in the race you know, the, the field is much more kind of evenly balanced, I think, from my perspective, than a lot of the, the Triple Crown races. What are, what are your thoughts, and, and how do you go about handicapping the race? Yeah, it's it's really intriguing, and it's obviously a race like no other because they, they call it the Test of Champions for a reason. It's a mile and a half. It's a sandy racetrack. You're not exactly sure who's, who's going to handle it, but a lot of – one of the mistakes people make, the biggest mistake is thinking that late runners are going to do well in the Belmont because that's a mile and a half. For the most part, you know, you've got to try to figure out the pace of the race. And for the most part, the Belmont is won with rare exception by horses that are going to be somewhat forwardly placed. Now this year, it looks like we, the people is going to be on the lead, but I think the Peter Pan, he won by 10 lengths. I think that race is kind of fraudulent. So I'll be trying to beat him. Uh, horses I'm gravitating to a little bit right now, Creative Minister, who was third in the Preakness. I don't think he'll have any problem with the mile and a half of the Belmont. Uh, Mo Donegal makes a lot of sense at uh, his home track for Todd Fletcher. That was the horse I picked publicly in the Derby. And if he would have gotten the trip Rich Strike would have gotten, he you know, would have gotten a lot closer, may have won. I mean, he was 9-10 wide on the turn for home. Uh, and then Nest, I think, has got a little bit of a chance because I think she'll run all day. Uh, Todd Fletcher won the Derby, or excuse me, the Belmont with uh, Rags to Riches at Philly several years ago. She beat Curlin. And, you know, maybe uh, tactically she's going to be in the right position too. You know, I'm, I'm rooting for Rich Strike. I hope the horse legitimizes himself. You could call the Kentucky Derby a fluke, but 
several horses had the same opportunity that he had to win it. He won the race. He's trained well since then. I think he's got more speed than he showed in the Kentucky Derby based on his recent workouts. It's a fascinating race from a lot of different perspectives. And like you guys said, I think first and foremost, we kind of have to see how the odds shake out. But right now, if I had to make a public pick, it would probably be a creative minister or Mo Donegal. Yeah. So I, um, I'm honestly thinking the exact same thing. It's funny. You kind of went down my one, two, three, but so you know, you talked about we, the people and you know, both we, the people and rich strike their, their last race speed rating was, you know, kind of by far a career best. Like when, when you're handicapping a race, how, how do you, how do you handle that information? Do you, you know, which ones do you trust? Which ones do you not trust and think they'll kind of, you know, come back to prior form? How, you know, in your process, how, how do you manage through that information? Yeah, that's a great question because people always talk about the bounce right off of a career best effort. Chances are they're going to regress in the next start. And I kind of think it all depends on the reason why they ran so fast and where that race is and their natural progression and then how much time they had in between starts. So if a horse runs a career best and comes back on short rest, I tend to think that the bounce is more of a, a potential real thing. If a horse runs a career best and, you know, takes six weeks between starts and has three workouts and seems to be flourishing coming out of the race, I don't really think as much about the potential bounce as I, as I normally would, you know, we, the people took such a huge step forward off the Arkansas Derby. There was some moisture in the track that day. And, you know, he got a really easy lead that day too. And it's not to say that he won't get an easy lead in the Belmont. He could very well, but I just think that the race was somewhat fraudulent because there was moisture in the track. He did get loose on the lead. Nobody behind him ran and a two to one on the morning line, like this is the kind of horse I got to take a chance against. Uh, not so much because of the bounce, but because I just don't believe that that race that he ran last time is a true indicator of his ability, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Fair enough. So, you know, earlier you talked about, you know, multi-race wagers and you know, we've, we've been fortunate. We've had a, a lot of fantastic guests on the show. One of the questions we like to ask is, you know, is there a, is there a particular, you know, ticket creation strategy or betting strategy that, that you favor kind of like on, uh, you know, in classic races, or, you know, that has decent sized field or does it just kind of depend on your opinion of the race? Yeah, I think every race and every sequence is kind of its own animal. So I think when you go into a particular card, whether it's the Belmont day card or a, a Wednesday afternoon at Churchill, you want to try to take advantage of your strongest opinions. That opinion could be on a two to one shot. That opinion can be on a 10 to one shot. How do you build multi-race wagers around that two to one shot, that 10 to one shot? I'm more of a, a multi-race player than I am an intra-race player. But when I do play intra-race, I normally focus on the exactas, especially if I like horses that are five, six, eight, ten to one. And sometimes you might like two horses in the same race. If I like, you know, two horses at five to one and like some other prices underneath, 
Like I'm not adverse to just bet a ten twenty dollar exact uh, three four with three four seven eights and try to hit a hundred and twenty dollar exact at ten times. Right. You know, instead of trying to build out and hit the trifecta for fifty cents or hit the super for twenty cents when you you're pretty much relying on horses to clunk along for third or fourth. There's just way more that goes into that to me. I'm trying to find horses that I know are going to run well. And normally the horses in the top two spots run well. So in intra-race wagering, I'm normally focusing on betting bigger exactas. And then, you know, obviously focusing on, you know, we can't play. It's a company policy. Pick fives or pick sixes at Churchill. But I've got a betting partner in New Orleans and we'll attack Keeneland pretty strongly. You know, pick fives especially. And I'll use the ABC method where, you know, it's a, you, you need A's to win. You can go to the B column a couple times. If you have all A's win and you catch a C, that's 20 or 30 to one. That could really possibly blow up the ticket. So I try to rank the horses A, B, and C and uh, try to attack with multiple tickets that way. Because in a pick five or a pick six, man, you're really most of the time just trying to hit the thing one time. Thanks for sharing that with us. I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction here with you. One thing we saw in your bio that stood out to us is Scott and I are admitted beer snobs, specifically IPAs. So we wanted to ask you, is there a particular brewery in Kentucky that, that, you, that you really like and one nationally that you really like? Well, I'll tell you what, we are blessed to have really good breweries in Kentucky. Um. You know, the obvious ones, Country Boy, West Six. Uh, what was the one I was at last night? Oh, uh, Mirror Twin in Lexington. It's the best one. Fantastic. I was actually just there on Monday. Uh, you know, trying different beers there, and uh, they, they do a really, really good job. Uh, you know, being from Chicago, we have a lot of great breweries there, too. And I would say by far, hands down, my favorite brewery is Three Floyds and Munster. Uh, zombie Dust, number yeah. one beer. You know, and the Zombie Dust, you know, it, 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 when it first came out, it was like, man, you know, if I can get Zombie Dust like in cans or bottles. But now they actually have it in the stores. It's still special. It's still the gold standard to me, especially if I can get it on tap. Um, you know, Gumball Head was probably the beer that transitioned me over into the craft beer, beer world more than any. But, uh, yeah, I love Three Floyds, man. I don't know if the brew pub is still open, but back and forth from Chicago, I'd always uh, deviate about 20 miles into Munster and uh, <laughs> stop for lunch and pick some beer up to go. But, uh, yeah, that was a pretty easy answer. Lagunitas is great, too, and they've got a brewery now in Chicago for maybe about the last six or eight years. You know, they do. They've got a tremendous selection as well. Well, we'll tell you, if you are ever out in our end of town, there's a brewery called Holsopple, a little a little brewery in uh, Scott. There's some beer there that Scott and I love. So if you're ever out here, we'll buy you a beer. Uh, that sounds good, man. I'm always willing to try new stuff. Well, listen, I think I want to tell all the listeners we, we had some technical problems at the beginning, and and Joe's real patient. I mean, we really appreciate it. Scott, I'm not even going to ask you this, but we've only done this with one of our the people we've interviewed. And, and Joe, we're going to bestow upon you something that's a big deal to us. We're, we're going to name you an honorary South End of Louisville guy. 
So it's a big deal coming from us. So I want you to, there's a lot that goes with this. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show and um, we, we had an awesome time talking to you. Yeah, I mean, you guys need to come out to Churchill Downs, spend the day, and it uh, would be great to see you out there. We can uh, share some opinions and, you know, maybe play a ticket together or whatever. I'd like to kind of get uh, some of your guys' thoughts as to how you approach the races. It's like, you know, for me, I think you're either a mechanical horse player or a creative horse player and maybe a little bit of both. But to me, like track biases, trip notes, I mean, I've got – you know, trip notes on every race at Kentucky. Like I try to do my work in a very creative way. Some people are, you know, all about speed figures, all about, you know, reading the sheets, et cetera. Try to incorporate a little bit that of that as well. But um, I think your mind either works creatively or mechanically. Some people's a little bit of both, but uh, yeah, I definitely lean towards the creative aspect of, uh, of handicapping and love sharing opinions with people. Yeah, that, well, that'd be great. So yeah, next time we're out there, which which won't be too long from now, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll stop by the paddock and make sure we say hello. Yeah, hit me up. Uh, Gold Room Balcony is where the set is, and uh, you guys come out, bring some friends or whatever. I'll get you hooked up. Ladies awesome. and gentlemen, great interview with Joe Crispeck. Check him, follow him on Twitter. Joe, thank you very much. All right, have a great night. Good luck, guys. Thanks. Welcome back to the Early Speed Podcast. Great interview with uh, Joe Christofek. I, I tell you, Jay, we've been uh, we've been really fortunate with uh, all the really smart, talented people involved in racing that have that have agreed to come on our podcast. And, and Joe's at the top of the list. He was he was outstanding. Hundred percent, hundred percent. All right. So you know, he he talked about. Uh, his affinity for, for three Floyds and uh, some, you know, all the great brewers we have in Kentucky. So, you know, we didn't talk about our, uh, our beer of the week to open up, open up the podcast. But after that conversation with Joe, I, I figured we'd talk about that coming, coming out of the interview. So, you know, I've, I'm gone super neighborhood local. Uh, you know, you mentioned Hoss Apple Brewing. I'm going Hoss Apple today. Um, you know, our, our beer that never disappoints, the Obscured IPA is uh is the choice of the night how about how about you brother i love it you know i actually after the interview scott true story i had in my refrigerator three floyd's gumball head so in honor of joe i went and got one open it's american wheat pale ale and it's delicious nice nice all right so let's talk about the belmont so i, I kind of tipped my hand a bit I won't, I won't go through my my whole analysis but uh since I've tipped my hand a bit, how about you start us off? How, what do you think about this race, and how do you think it chips up? You know, man, it's so funny, and I know I say this every time, but you and I don't compare notes before we do this, and um, I think we're going to be kind of in line with each other a little bit. Um, I have totally um, – I've totally thrown out We the People, and um, – the reason why I actually went back and looked at the Peter Pan that was running Belmont, the race that the, 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 we, the people won by 10 links. And I just don't think that, you know, it was a grade three race. I just don't think that that, that horse was going up against really good horses. Yeah. And, I think, I think the Peter Pan winner gets over bet and underperforms every year. That's my opinion. 
Like it, I don't necessarily have the stats on that. That's just kind of my, uh, my recollection. And it's funny, Joe actually brought this up, but you know, the, there was rain that day and the, and the, the track was, you know, it, it, it was, it was a good rain where, you know, it was almost like, uh, I describe it like, you know, if when you run on the beach, the water that's hard, that's almost what it looked like. Like it was a good right for the horses. Right. Um, and I just, you know, I, I guess the only thing that scares me, and we've talked about this before, is the lone speed. I, I don't know who's going to go with that horse, but I, I just, I, you know, I, there may be one of these horses that, you know, I think maybe one of the trainers or jockeys said, hey, let's just get, let's go. And see what you know. See what see what happens. Um, but I I just am not a believer in we the people, and there's no chance I would bet that horse at two to one. You know, as well. I, I really really like Mo Donegal here. Um, you know, so I'm going to tell you the bet that I know for sure that I'm going to bet. I'll just share with everybody. I'm going to do a trifecta with Mo Donegal on top, Creative Minister on top, then. Add in rich strike in the two hole in the two hole with those two horses, and then to fill it out, I'm going to put Barber Road and Nest in the three hole. So that's going to be my trifecta for the race. Um, you know, I, I think Creative Minister could could really be a, a, a good horse. Um, you know, the rich strike thing, I you know, and man, I you'll laugh that his work. And I thought this was pretty ingenious by Churchill to do his workout in between races um, at the track. I thought that was awesome. I loved it. So, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I, I think to Joe's point earlier, I, that, I think it was a good thing for just the normal fan or maybe an outside fan to, to turn on. And, and Because I definitely turned on – when I heard it was going to be on, I definitely made sure I was watching because I wanted to see it, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a, it was great, and you know, it, building around the Derby helps build racing fans, you know, and and the Derby winner always has, you know, kind of their special place on the pedestal, and you know, it's a horse everybody knows, and especially a long shot like that, it's a, it's a great story, and it, it you know, it generates a, a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm. So yeah. that, for sure. And, and that's going to be my bet. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, obviously I want to look at this a little bit more. Um, Barber Road really interests me. Um, but I, I, I'm pretty big on Mo Donegal here is, is how I, I would end up. Yeah, I, I think Mo Donegal is the most talented horse in this race for sure. Um, I, I'm just, I'm not sure the race shape sets up for him to win um, is my concern with him. I, you know, like, like Joe talked about, I mean, the, the Belmont really is not won very often by deep closers. Um, you know, I've, I've got creative minister on top. Um, I, I think he's in great form. You know, he, he ran a pretty good race in, in the Preakness. He ended up with a hundred buyer speed figure, um, you know, which is, which is close to being best of anybody in this field. He, he's improving every time out on the track. Uh, at, at six to one, I think you're going to get a square price on him. And, and I think he'll be, I think he'll be near the pace. I think he'll be in a stalking position. Um, you know, and so I, you know, I like him at those odds. I, you know, I've got, I've got Mo Donegal there with him in, in the second spot and, and definitely in, you know, my exactas and tries, I'll, I'll include both of those up top. Um, you know, I, like I said, I do think Mo Donegal's the, the most talented horse, but 
you know, five to one versus five to two, I'm or six to one versus five to two. I'm willing to to put my win money on Creative Minister. Um, you know, I, I like Nest. I like the fact that that Pletcher made the decision to to run her in this race. I think it it shows confidence um, in the horse. You know, certainly she's got some talent. Um, you know, she she ran a really good race in the Oaks. I mean, she you know, Secret Oath ran a monster race uh, that day. And, you know, she was, she was right there with her and, you know, lost by two links, but, but certainly proved, proved her talent. Um, and, and to your point, I, I like Barbara Road as well, you know, especially at 10 to one underneath on the bottom of the ticket. Um, he ran a sneaky good race in the Derby. I mean, from, from the second call to the third call, he made up 12 links on the leaders and, you know, and some of that were the leaders coming backwards after the, after the fast fractions, but he had to go 11 wide around that final turn. He kind of took the same path that Mo Donegal did, um, which, you know, certainly ruined his, ruined his chances for her uh, win or, but I mean, he, he finished six, only beaten four and three quarter lengths. He was, he was, you know, gaining on, you know, uh, much of the crowd there at the end. I, I think he's he's a great value certainly in in the bottom of the tickets. I don't give him much of a win chance, but um, you know, at, at least in the bottom of a trap, not the bottom of the exacta for sure. Yeah, and I almost forgot that 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 Mo Donegal and Barbaro were five six. You know, right there together in the Derby, they were. Yeah, so they were, um, and so, and they both went super wide. You know, I mean, Rich Strike got the rail, and they were both ten and eleven wide. You know, basically with the popcorn vendor, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, smaller field. I, I think it gives them a better chance. You know, maybe they can have won't be so far back, won't have as much to do. Um, you know, and, and you know, we the people in Rich Strike. I, I kind of went back and forth on that. I, I'll probably include we the people on the bottom of my ticket and and leave Rich Strike out. Um, you know, I, I think the horse has been running well. I, I don't. I'm not necessarily in the camp where I think the Derby was a fluke for him. I think he's come out of the race really well, but it's another one of those situations where you know, the race shape doesn't help him. I think he'll have a lot to do. Um, and the Derby was just such a jump from a career best, you know, speed figure perspective. I'm, I don't totally, and I especially don't believe it. At, you know, I, I bet he goes off at three to one or five to two. I, I think he'll get bet down below his morning line odds. Um, and I just don't think there'll be a lot of value there. So, so he'll be one that, that I probably exclude from my tickets. I'm going to make a prediction. Uh, all the connections with Epicenter are going to be watching, and the the first quarter is going to be a normal quarter, and they're all going to just be pissed <laughs> off. I mean, you know it's going to happen, man. Yeah. You, you know that for, it's going to be like, what, 23 into uh, – you know, it's going to be something where you're like, that's a normal fraction, right? Yeah. yeah so. the, the, the thing about we the people getting off on a loose lead and kind of have, like – tends to happen when people don't necessarily expect it to happen but everybody's talking about how this horse is the only speed in the race and to your point you know there, there's other horses that that have some early speed here i mean most of them have shown an ability to be up front early at some point in their career i mean including you know skippy Longstocking and golden glider and i mean gosh even barbara road you know a couple of his early races he he tracked the the early speed so um, but it's a, I don't want to say it's a, it's a well-matched field, but you know, like I said in the interview, I don't, I don't think there's a standout play in the race, um, which is why I have a hard time betting, 
you know, betting the horses that are, you know, sub three to one to win. I just don't, I don't know that their, their likelihood of, of winning are that lopsided compared to the rest of the field. And again, it will be interesting to watch the the betting patterns for sure. I think we'll both be looking at that. Yeah. I mean, you've got what Skippy Longstockings 20 to one and Golden Gliders 20 to one, you know, if they, if they both end up at 12 to 15 to one, it's, it's going to bump up the odds on everybody else. And you know, I have to think that rich strike is, is going to be that hard. Um, and his odds will come down. Um, you know, the New York crowd, I expect will, will bet we, the people, you know, coming off of the, coming off the Peter Pan win. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun to watch. Can't wait. Well, that leaves us with who's going to come in last. So who's going to be your pick? Because I'm, I feel like I'm getting another beer back here, and I, I have a feeling it's, it, it, we almost should we make this a draft? Because I, well, I, I, I kind of know how this is going to go here. Uh, I, I'm going to stick with my selection from the Preakness. I'm going to go Skippy Longstocking to come in last. Um, good, good, because I'm going with the Fenwick of this race, which is Golden Gilder. That is who I have last. So I, I, I like this. I like that you took Skippy because uh, right. they, that might get me closer back to even with you, which will be a good thing. <laughs> hey, you know, like my dad used to say, Lord, let me break even. I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, any other thoughts uh, before we get off here on the Belmont? No, it's, it, you know, it's been a, it's been a super exciting, you know, run through the triple crown. Um, you know, I, I think there's money to be made Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that. And, um, you know, thanks again to Joe Christopher. It was, he, he really was outstanding. And we really appreciate his time for sure. Absolutely. You know, I want to tell our listeners, Hey, remember all of our social media stuff. Um, you know, we're on, um, it, it's actually speed early on, on Twitter, but we're on, um, Instagram, we got some motion on our Facebook page, so check that out. Um, I went to the backside and took some pictures of horses, and, you know, we got, we got some views there. You know, I, I think we had another international listener, Scott. We're getting so big. It's just – it's insane. Was it I mean, a queen? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was or not. All right. Um, but we may uh, – Scott and I may be planning a, a, a special trip here to Saratoga, so we, if we do that – We'll have to have a podcast after that, I would think. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, we, we will put something together for the Breeders' Cup. So, um, you know, hope, hope hope you enjoyed all Scott's winners last week. Um, you know, maybe maybe this is my my week. We'll see. But uh, we want to thank all the listeners. You know, uh, Scott and I really enjoy this. Um, and as I always say, be responsible. Go with your gut. Cash some tickets. Signing off from the Early Speed Podcast, Jay and Lennon and Scott, have a good Belmont.